Good morning, Altoona Regular Baptist Church, and welcome. It is Sunday morning, May 3rd. And this morning we'll be together in John 3. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. If you have your Bible, I invite you to join me there. If you do not have a Bible, I would invite you to get up and get a Bible and follow along this morning as we work our way through John chapter 3. Let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll jump right in. Father, we praise you this morning for who you are. We praise you that you are a God who is in control. Even as we look around us at the chaos, sometimes the hopelessness, as it seems that the situation in which we find ourselves is going to drag on forever. Help us to rest in the fact that our God is in control. Even this morning, as we look to John 3, may we see not just that our God is in control, but that our God loves us. He loves us enough to send His only Son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, may that encourage us this morning. May we res respond in overwhelming joy with this God who loves us so. Pray that your spirit would work this morning through your word for your glory. Give me authority, boldness to proclaim your truth this morning with clarity for your glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's read John chapter 3 verses 1 to 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Have you ever been unprepared? I remember when Chris and I first moved to Iowa a little over five years ago. When we got settled, it came time for us to go to the Iowa DOT to get our licenses tra transferred over from Indiana to Iowa. And I remember as, as we were preparing, we, we had gotten a, picked a day, we'd gotten a babysitter lined up, we were going to drop the twins off uh, at the Matsons, at Chris's parents. We'd lined up babysitters for our kids. Krista had gone online, she had seen all the papers that we needed, and we had carefully, over the days leading up to it, piled them into one folder. And so the day comes, and, and we take the, the twins, and we drop them off at Chris's parents, and, and we drive over to the Iowa DOT there in Ankeny. And we get out, and, and we get in line, and we have our folder with us, and we're, we're confident that we have everything we need. We've double-checked, we've triple-checked. We walk inside, and, and we stood in line for what seems to be an hour. And finally, we get to the counter, and we confidently hand them our, our packet. We explain what we're there for, and the lady looks through it, and she says, You're missing some things. We had to go home. We, we'd stood in line for all this time. We thought we were prepared, but we weren't. As we come to John 3 this morning, we see a man who comes confidently to Jesus only to find that he falls woefully short. As John 3 begins, we're introduced to this man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And as we work our way through these verses, we will see as Nicodemus comes to Jesus in a secret meeting, and then as John expounds on this universal truth, that Jesus teaches. You must be born again. The first thing we see in John 3 verses 1 to 15 is this secret meeting. As I mentioned, it's, it's Nicodemus who has come to Jesus. The first verse of chapter 3 describes Nicodemus as a man of the Pharisees. Pharisees were a religious class. They were, they were very careful to keep the law in their pursuit of obtaining righteousness. 
and gaining God's favor. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a Pharisee. We see some of his zeal in Philippians 3 as he talks about, I was a Pharisee, I was a good Pharisee. I was circumcised on the right day. I, I kept the law in man's eyes. I was blameless. Paul there gives us a, a picture of the, the zeal that these Pharisees had for the law of God. As they were striving after righteousness. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Not only is he a Pharisee, but he is a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body. The ruling body of Israel at that time under the, the Roman government. They had allowed the Sanhedrin some power. It was a group of approximately 70 men led by the high priest. And they were powerful. The Roman government had given them authority. So this Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. Later in chapter 3, Jesus calls him a, a teacher of Israel. This Nicodemus who has come to Jesus is a powerful man. He's a man with, with earthly authority. Verse 2, this man, this Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. Many have wondered why he came by night. Why didn't he come during the day? Some have thought perhaps he came at night because of his position, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. Perhaps he was a little bit embarrassed about what they would think, and so he came at night to conceal his, his approach to Jesus. Well, that likely plays into it a little bit. Don Carson, in his commentary, notes that, that night and John often refers to, to not just darkness in the sky, not just the end of the day, but darkness in the heart. To sin. That's what John is, is hinting at here. It's clever. Because here in the first few phrases of chapter 3, he's already hinting that this powerful man, this Jewish leader, this, this, this religious guy who is coming to Jesus. John's already revealing to us that, that already he's lost. He's in darkness. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The phrase Rabbi means teacher. It's not the first time in John that we've seen the phrase Rabbi, the, the, the name Rabbi. In fact, in chapter 1, it's, it's Andrew and, and the other disciple, likely John, who comes to Jesus and first says, Rabbi. John goes on to, to define that term, Rabbi, which means teacher. It's a sign of respect. 
But it's one thing for, for some fishermen in Galilee to call Jesus rabbi. It is something entirely different for Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, a teacher of Israel, to come and to call him rabbi. It's a sign of immense respect. It shows us that right from the beginning, as, as, as Nicodemus is approaching Jesus, he's not doing it in a hostile manner. He's not looking to, to trap him, to trick him, to arrest him. He's interested. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus here is trying to show honor to Jesus. But he falls woefully short in his estimation of who Jesus is. Surely, you are a teacher come from God. He was right that Jesus has come from God. But as we'll see as John 3 goes on, he's not merely a teacher. In fact, he's also right in the second part of the verse here where he says, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus here is right to recognize that the signs that Jesus is doing testifies to his identity. But he makes the wrong connection. These signs do testify to Jesus' identity, but he is wrong about that identity. And this is so sad. Nicodemus should have known. He should have known who Jesus was. There was enough evidence already. Jesus had fulfilled enough prophecy even at this time, at the beginning of his ministry, for these religious leaders to know. They had already sent a party to, to talk to his forerunner, John the Baptist, who had already testified. There was one greater than I who is here. They should have connected the dots some 30 years earlier. The rumors of a virgin birth. The authority as Jesus taught in the temple as a child. You see, they should have been looking for the Messiah. They should have been longing for Him. Just like we today look for the imminent coming of Christ. We should be at, at any moment living in light of His coming. It should be in the forefront of our thinking. So they should have been looking for Him. They should have been looking for their Messiah. And Jesus at this point in His ministry has given enough sign. He's had the promised forerunner. He's fulfilled prophecy already. There's enough sign that they should have a clue to who he is. But apparently they're clueless. Just assume he's some other teacher, a, a powerful teacher, but just a teacher. 
Nicodemus here falls woefully short in his estimation of Jesus. Verses 3 to 9, Jesus answers Nicodemus, and this conversation develops. It goes forward. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That seems like an odd answer. In fact, Nicodemus here hasn't even asked a question. And what Jesus says next seems to come out of left field. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with what Nicodemus is saying or implying. See, Nicodemus here doesn't ask a question, but he implies. Nicodemus comes and, and boldly tells Jesus what he knows. But Jesus answers and says, Nicodemus, you don't know anything. Most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. We've seen that phrase referred to already in John in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. As many as received him, Jesus, the Son, the Word made flesh, as many as received him, to them gave he right to become what? Children of God. Jesus here is picking up on that same idea. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. This would have been baffling to Nicodemus. What Jesus says here goes against everything that Nicodemus believes, everything that Nicodemus has lived for. You see, he would have understood the phrase, the kingdom of God. He would have understood that Jesus was referring to, as he would have understood at that time, the messianic kingdom. That was his hope, to, to see, to be part of the kingdom of God. That is why Nicodemus strained every single day to keep the law, to tithe the right amount, to take the right amount of steps on the Sabbath, to wear the right things, to eat the right things, to say the right things. He went above and beyond doing everything he could to keep the law, to see the kingdom of God. Whether he, he lived to see Messiah come and bring the kingdom, or whether he was resurrected into it. That was his longing. That's what he was straining for. And here Jesus says, unless one is born again. I can imagine Nicodemus' thoughts at this moment. What do you mean? I am a Jew. I'm good. I'm born into the promise. 
Not only am I a Jew, but, but I'm a Pharisee. Not only am I a Pharisee, I'm a ruler of the Jews. Not only am I a ruler, but, but even you admit, <coughs> I am the teacher of the Jews. I am a great man. I have kept the law like Paul says in, in Philippians 3, 3-7. I'm sure he would have said, as to the law, I'm blameless. Surely I will see the kingdom of God. And if not me, then who? What hope is there? Unless one is born again. So Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is a smart man. He's a teacher. He's aware of, of, of what Jesus is doing here. He's aware of using an analogy to, to, to talk about something that, that is deeper, a spiritual truth. I don't think that Nicodemus truly thinks here that Jesus is saying you must be born again by a woman, by natural birth. But Nicodemus is picking up on, on the language that Jesus is using and he's, he's going forward with it. How can this be? What can I do? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 5 is a restatement of verse 3. They both start the same way. Jesus answered. They both start most assuredly. They both end the same way. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's the same idea. The difference comes in this phrase, unless one is born again, in verse 3, verse 5, he, he adds something. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. See, what Jesus is doing here, when he takes born again and he uses the phrase of water and the Spirit, he's not adding steps to born again. He's clarifying born again in a way that Nicodemus will understand, that he should understand. That phrase, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, should have rung a bell in Nicodemus' mind. As a teacher in Israel, someone who understood, who knew the Old Testament, this is language that he would have understood, that he should have understood. Jesus here is likely alluding to Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. Ezekiel 36 is a, is a new covenant passage. This new covenant that, that God has promised, that the Jews are looking forward to. And as it talks about this new covenant, it talks about it in these terms. In this new covenant, God will provide cleansing and God will provide transformation. He'll provide cleansing through the washing of water and transformation through the Spirit who will dwell in their hearts. 
So in Ezekiel 36, we see water and spirit, cleansing and transformation. Here in John 3, 5, the one who is born of water and spirit. Nicodemus should have picked up on this. He should have got this. He should have seen what Jesus was referring to. What Jesus is saying here is, Nicodemus, you must be cleansed and you must be transformed. But you're not cleansed and you're not transformed by reforming yourself. It's not about keeping the law. It's not about what you can do. It's what God will do. He promised it in the new covenant. Believe him. It is God who will cleanse you. It is God who will transform you. You cannot do this yourself. Because on in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now that he's using this language of spirit here, he's going forward with it. He's dealing a little bit here with, with Nicodemus' thinking that he could earn righteousness, that he could earn God's favor. What Jesus is saying here is, don't you see, Nicodemus, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You cannot work your way to spiritual life by doing fleshly works, by doing works in your body, by keeping the law. That never leads to spiritual salvation. It must be a work of God who is spirit. Not of man. It's not by your righteousness, Nicodemus. Your flesh cannot get there. You must be transformed and it must be God's doing. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Do not marvel that I said you must be changed, you must be transformed. Do not marvel that this is not something that you can do, but something that God will do. Jesus gives a picture here in verses 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Like the wind. You can't make it blow. You don't know where it comes from. It blows and you see evidence of it. So it was those who were born of the Spirit. It's not an outward work that you can see, but an inward change. Those who are born of the Spirit are different people. God has done a work in them. It is God who has changed them. Who has transformed them. Jesus in these verses is talking in language that Nicodemus should have known. Nicodemus should have known this, but look at verse 9. Nicodemus again answered and said to him, How can these things be? How can this be? Again, Jesus answers, Verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel do not know these things? 
It's almost a rebuke. You should know this. It's in the word that I gave you. The Old Testament. The promises that I've given you. How can you not see this, Nicodemus? It's not about keeping the law. It's about trusting me. This is not a failure of God. Nicodemus could not say you didn't tell us this. It's not a failure of God, for it's in his word. His revelation is clear. It's a failure of man. Jesus answered in verse 11, Most assuredly, again, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. Verse 11 and the following verses here, Jesus is, is telling Nicodemus that he's, he's saying, I'm speaking with authority. I'm speaking to you with authority. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I'm testifying to you the truth. But I have seen what I know. I'm giving you evidence from the Old Testament, and yet you won't receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how do you believe? How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I've sat here and I've talked to you about the new birth. An earthly thing, something that deals with life on earth. Something that was, was clear in the Old Testament that you should have seen, but you missed. And if I'm sitting here and I'm telling you about this, and, and you're telling me, how can these things be? How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I can tell you the mysteries of God. I can describe the throne room of heaven. I can tell you glorious things. For I have been there, I have seen them. But you won't even accept my testimony on the new birth. Verse 13, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. There's no one else. There's no one else who can go to heaven and, and who can sit down and as an eyewitness testify to you of these things but me. You tried to tell me who I was when we first came. You said you knew who I was. You don't know the first thing about me, Nicodemus. I am unique. I am not simply a teacher. I am the Son of God. I am the Word made flesh. I am the one who came down from heaven. 
Verse 14, Jesus refers to Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. It's a story you likely remember from the Old Testament. The Israelites, they complain. They complain about everything that God has given them, how He's led them, even the food that He provides for them. And they throw it all in His face and they complain. So He sends these fiery serpents among them. And there's no cure. To be bit is a death sentence. And yet God provides the way of escape. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, Numbers 21, 4 to 9, God commands Moses to lift up this serpent on a pole. This bronze serpent that he lifts up in the middle of the camp. And if they will but look to that, they will be healed. Even as that serpent was lifted up for salvation, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in Him should not perish. but have eternal life. There's a progression in these verses. Verse 13. I am the one who came down from heaven. Verse 14. To be lifted up. Verse 15. That you might be born again. Believe in me, Nicodemus. Look to me, not to your law-keeping, not to your birth, not to your position. Believe me. Trust me. Be born again and have eternal life. Enter the kingdom of God. As we come to John 3.16, we find a transition. Many will note that, that it seems that at, at John 3.15, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus ends. And as John 3.16 starts, it's no longer Jesus who is speaking, but John, the author of the book, giving commentary. And he expounds on this universal truth that Jesus has just explained to Nicodemus. That the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever will believe on Him will not, be per will not perish, but will have eternal life. So 3.16, I, I am well aware, is likely, it is the most famous verse probably in the entire Bible. majority of the people under the sound of my voice have probably memorized this verse, know it by heart, and yet do not let that familiarity allow your mind to wander even now as we speak about it. Because the truths in John 3.16 
cannot be comprehended fully. We cannot even scratch the surface that is worthy of your attention. John here picks up where Jesus finishes. He kind of answers a question. Because if you're following Jesus' argument into verse 15, the next question is, why? Why would the, the Son of Man, God made flesh, why would he come to be lifted up? Because God so loved the world. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Notice that the last phrase of verse 15 is the exact, 16 is the, is the exact same as verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. God didn't need the world. God was lacking nothing in himself. yet he loved the world. And because God loved the world, he sent his son, his only begotten son, his unique son, the son who, who in eternity past has existed with him in perfect love. And yet he sent him For the world. The world that as we see in John 1, 10 to 11, is the same world that did not receive him. To a people who did not receive him. And yet God knowing that. God seeing the, the depravity of man, the extent of sin, the ungratefulness loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son to be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life verse 17 goes on God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. That's the third time in verses 15, 16, and 17 that God has expressed his desire to save the world. He's provided the way. 
the way, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, that, that you would be transformed, that you can be born again, not by your works, but by believing. By what God has done, not by what you can do. Verse 18 to 21 gives us the reason why God did this. Not the reason as in his motivation, as we saw in John 3:16, the fact that he loved us, but the reason why it was necessary. Why did the world need saving? Verse 18, he who believes is not condemned. Romans 8:1. There's there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have placed their faith in Him, for those who have believed. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. It was necessary because man is utterly sinful. It was necessary because man does not run to God, man runs from God. Because even as the light shines into the darkness, the darkness does not comprehend it. As John 1 says, Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. And that sin separates us from my holy God. And yet that holy God, instead of sending His Son to condemn us, sent His Son to save us. But the question this morning is this. Do you believe? Are you trusting in your works? Are you trusting in your church attendance and your giving record? The fact that you've given tithe every Sunday for the last however many years? Are you trusting in your family? Are you trusting in Christ? Nicodemus, like Paul, can say, If anyone could trust in the flesh, it was me. And yet even Jesus says to him, You must be born again. Brothers and sisters, you must be born again. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God has done for you in Christ. He will cleanse you. He will transform you. Trust in Him. In conclusion, it was an inconvenience for Krista and I on that day over five years ago. It was an inconvenience to not be prepared. 
But it's an entirely different thing not to be prepared for eternity. It's not merely an inconvenience. What are you trusting in? Are you ready? Are you trusting in Christ and in Him alone? Or like Nicodemus, if he didn't place his faith in Christ here, will you show up one day before Christ and say, I was good. I kept the law. I went to church. I loved my neighbors. I gave to charity. And he'll say, depart from you. I never knew you. You were never born again. Trust in Jesus Christ. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we do serve a God that loves us. And we thank you that because of your love, you sent your only Son to bear our penalty, to give us life if we will but turn from our sin and trust in Him. Even this morning, if there is anyone under the sound of my voice who has not turned from their sin and placed their faith in Christ alone to be born again, may they do that even now. And for those of us who have already been placed our faith in Christ, who are in Christ, may we be encouraged. May we be strengthened in our faith even this morning. May we be, may we be encouraged by the love of God for us. May we go as ambassadors to the world around us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.